once uh, we get everybody back from holidays we're going to start a, a study in uh, Matthew but at the moment just to, to fill in the, the gap over the holidays I decided to do a, a wee study in Esther and so we started in Esther chapter 1 last week and really at the end of the day it was, it was something to show how women were used in the Bible we saw in the, 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 the last study in Romans how there were many women who were, were a great help to Paul in his ministry and a great help to the early church in, in the church planting sense and in the sense he spread in the gospel and with all the situation that's going on in Israel and, and Gaza at the present time we look at Esther who was in a situation where the whole Jewish nation well does she know that the whole Jewish nation was about to be put on the line that a man called Haman was going to come along and and literally get a decree from the king of Persia that all the Jews should be put to death in in this whole 127 provinces. If if you're not familiar with Esther, then the first part will be online probably tomorrow at some point in time. I haven't quite got around to it yet. So we saw in the first chapter that there was this great feast. Six months it lasted. And then there was another feast that lasted seven days. And then there was the, the Queen's Feast Vashti. And, and King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, depending on which version of the Bible you're reading. Ahasuerus is the Hebrew name. Xerxes was the Persian name. But the same, same guy. But he had got drunk at this festival and feast. And uh, there appears to have been some sort of competition arose as to who had the, the best looking women in the land. And so he summoned Vashti's queen. And the text really, the, the, the sort of gist of the text is that he wanted her to appear with her crown on and naked before all these drunken men. And Vashti refused and so she was put away as being queen. Uh, you, you weren't allowed to disobey the, the king. Indeed she was probably fortunate to escape with her life. We never hear much of her again and maybe she didn't escape with her life. But this was all part of God's plan. This was all part of God's plan because God knew that at this point in time there was going to be an attempt to, to, of genocide upon the Jewish nation and he was starting to put a plan in place. If you read through the book of Esther, you'll never hear the name of God mentioned. It's, it, there's neither, neither is there prayer or worship or whatever and yet God as I said before, his fingerprints are all over it. He's just there. He's just in the background, working away for his people all the time. And I encourage you with that, that sometimes when you think that God's not there, that he is there, believe me, he's just working away in the background. He's he's moving situations and he's, he's moving the chess pieces around the board to bring about the best result for you and for him. And so... This great feast in Esther chapter 1 was really organised because Xerxes was putting together an army and uh, Josephus uh, tells us that the army could have numbered up to 2.5 million men. He was going to fight the Greeks and this was, uh, 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 those of you who weren't here, if you're familiar with the, uh, the film The 300 then that was the same battle it was the battle of Thermopylae uh, there, was a, there was an able battle as well but Xerxes basically lost lost both of them and uh, he had to return to Persia a defeated king and that's where we find him at the start of chapter 2 
When it says here later, when King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, depending on where you look, how person you are. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Now, <clears throat> I'll just read on a bit. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let, let a search be made for a beautiful virgins for the king. And let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa or Shushan, depending again on the translation. Let them be placed under the care of Hegei, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. And let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young women woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king and he followed it. So right at the start of this it says later or in maybe your version it says after these things. Now after these things indicates a broader picture than just the fact that the feast is over and Vashti has been deposed here. It's not that this incident starting here in chapter 2 just didn't start the next day after the feast's finished. Indeed in this chapter in verse 16 it tells us that four years would pass, or four years had passed, from Vashti being queen to Esther being appointed queen. And in between, in that time, that would be 483 BC to 479 BC, Xerxes would have went on his journey and his army against uh, the Greeks and would have lost and would have returned. And this is him come back and he's thinking about some solace in the arms of a beautiful young woman no doubt and so we find that Xerxes had come home defeated and decides to comfort himself with a new queen again the, the name of God is never mentioned but if for you Bible scholars there are four acrostics in the book uh, two forward and two backward and you can go and look for them yourselves um, but the, the, an acrostic is where there's four consecutive words that if you take the initial letters of them or the last letters of them and count them forwards or backwards you get the name of God in it so there are uh, many sort of Jewish scholars have said that this is where God is in the background if you look for him he's there um, I'll maybe get around to that but I'll leave that one with you so these beautiful young women were taken into the harem the plan was to assemble a large group of young women from all over the Persian Empire and they're going to have almost, I mean, I think about it as a Miss Persian Empire contest. You know, it's, uh, and their winner would be the Queen instead of Ashti. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that there were 400 young women selected. And King Xerxes at this point in time would have been about 40 years old. And Esther was probably 20. So we've got a situation building up here where the king has been defeated in battle, he's lost his queen, he's now back, he wants a new queen and his advisors have put him in that path and have assembled 400 young women, handed them over to Hegei, the chief eunuch, um, who has obviously been emasculated and, and that's who's been put in charge of the women. And in verse 5 it says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa or Shushan, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive were Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, king of Judah. There was a Jehoiakim as well, so it's a bit confusing. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. 
Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So basically Mordecai and Esther or Hadassah, Hadassah is the Hebrew name for the girl. Esther would be the, would be the Persian name that she was given. They were cousins. They were both born in Babylon. Um, when Nebuchadnezzar took captives, there was three waves. There was 605 BC, there was 597 BC, there was, and the final one was in 586 BC when, uh, when the whole of Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed and it was left as a ruin. So they, they were relatives of these. They were born, although they were still Jewish by culture, they were actually Persian by birth. So the, both of them were there. Mordecai appears to have been about the same age as, as King Xerxes at this point in time. He was about 40 years old. The Jewish name for, for uh, Esther was Hadassah, which means myrtle. And it's uh, Esther, uh, we spoke about last week, was the morning star. Prophetically, myrtle, it says in the Bible, would replace the briars. In other words, the, the destruction of Jerusalem at that point in time and, and the destruction of the people would be replaced by the myrtle. Myrtle is a sort of it's a symbolic tree that, that symbolizes the, the blessings that God would pour upon Israel. If you want to look at that, it's Zechariah 1 and chapter 8 and Isaiah 41 and chapter 41 and chapter 55. Says you had a lovely figure and was good to look at. That, that's a good translation. You'll probably may, maybe find in your Bibles it's, it's translated differently, but that's probably a good translation. She had a she had a very nice figure and she had a very pleasant face. And in verse eight it says, When the king's orders and edicts had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge over the harem. 400 as we know already the text indicates here the way the, the words are put together that this was not Esther's choice she didn't want to go she was forced to go she was taken by forces many of the young women probably were or many of them weren't, weren't. maybe they wanted to go and be part of the, the king's court at the palace Hegei this, this eunuch is mentioned by Herodotus the Greek uh, Historian, he talks about him as being an officer of the king, so he was he was fairly well up there. This guy, he was the keeper of the harem. Esther, Esther, at this point in time, and I, and I thought about this this week. She must have wondered what was happening. She'd lost her parents; they were both dead. She was being looked after by a cousin, and now she was literally taken prisoner by the king. Sometimes. When God works, it looks like a disaster, but he always brings good out of it. God is working a plan here. He's working a way to put Esther in a position of influence. Although, when you look at it from this point of view, pretend that you don't know any of the rest of the story. Esther was stuck. She thought, what on earth is happening here? You know, I've lost my parents. I'm, I'm trying to get past in life. I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to stay on side with this God of Israel that they talk about, that, that the, the exiles, the people who were my relatives, my, my antecedents have spoken about for, for all these next to a hundred years. And now all of a sudden she's taken into the king's palace. 
And that could spell disaster. That could be her out of the picture for the rest of her life. She pleased him. This is talking about Haggai at verse 9. She pleased him and won his favour. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. So Esther had found favour in this guy's eyes. God had given her favour in the eyes of Haggai. Haggai was the the guy who looked after all the women and she pleased him and won his favour and immediately he was taken to her. And he thought, I'll give her special food and special beauty treatments because you've got to understand that if anybody knew what the king liked, Haggai would know. He was the keeper of the women's harem. He would know exactly the type of woman and the type of adornment and the type of figure and the type of food and all the rest of the stuff he would know exactly what the king wanted so here was God working through through the life of of a pagan who knew not God so don't ever think that God's only going to work through your Christian brothers and sisters God can make all things happen he can work through any man or woman's life when you look at even in this situation, if you go back the hundred years until the, from the exile um, when Nebuchadnezzar went against Jerusalem, God prophesied it and he said to them, if you don't turn from your ways, I will bring my servant Nebuchadnezzar against you. And So everybody is subject to God in this world. There's nobody that can say that they're not being... Uh, Manipulated, if you want to call it by God. There's plenty of manipulation going on by Satan as well. But God looks at people and, and even although they are evil people, he can use even their evil deeds to bring about good. So don't concern yourself that sometimes when, when people are doing bad things against you, that God is not there and God is not working for you. Esther obtained favour with Haggai and when we honour God he honours us although it may not seem it but she seems to have fulfilled the Proverbs 3 verse 3 and 4 and it says let love and faithfulness never leave you bind them around your neck write them on the tablet of your heart then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man so love and faithfulness never leave you. She was faithful to her God. She was obviously a very outgoing young woman who readily made friends, who readily influenced people, who people could say, isn't that Esther lass a lovely lass? And so this was her predicament. In verse 10, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. We find here that Mordecai is absolutely at his wit's end. There's no way he's got any contact with Esther. So he's obviously got contact with some of the eunuchs who work in the women's harem and he's trying to kind of kind of pacing up and down the place looking for somebody coming out and asking how is Esther what's happening with Esther will you sneak a note into her can I give you a letter for Esther because once you were in the the, the harem of the king there was no way out that was it you were in there Esther we find always seeks wise counsel from Mordecai we'll see that as as this book goes on 
we want, if we really want God, will always give us someone to give us wise counsel. If we really seek that wise counsel, God will send someone along to give us that verse or that that piece of wisdom, that understanding that just turns us around the corner and makes us go the right way. Sometimes we're lost for a direction. And in some measure, Mordecai and Esther were a bit lost for direction. I'm sure Mordecai was thinking, gosh, I brought this girl up for she was a, a young child. Her mother and father were killed and and here I've lost her now. I don't know what's going on. And I'm sure there were many prayers going up from him. Lord, what exactly is happening here? We see that Mordecai had told her or forbidden her. Which is quite a strong word to, to tell anyone that she was a Jew or tell them her family background. It's not always a good idea to hide her faith, to hide her Christianity. Indeed, when I look around me and I talk to people there are far too many Christians today who would be better off in the secret service because that's about the only way you get it out and you need a password and a pin number <laughs> to get them to tell you that they're Christians and I find that difficult we need to take seriously the warning that Jesus gave us in Matthew 10 he said here he said whoever acknowledges me before others I will acknowledge before my father in heaven but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So you need, we need to take that seriously. Now, there may be times, there may be times when we say nothing about Jesus. I was thinking from the point of view, sometimes the easiest way when you're talking to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses is to say nothing. It's just to listen to what they're telling you and then use that as a strategic point to kick off and say, but what about this and what about that? And who do you think Jesus really is? And, uh, and that, that's the big problem here. That uh, Although Esther was told to keep things quiet, it wasn't from the point of view that she was ashamed of who she was. But Mordecai could see that as this plan advanced, it would be best to keep it secret at the present time. It was almost as if maybe God had said to Mordecai, don't let anyone know at this point in time. Now, she was obviously living very much the life of a Persian. She was third, fourth generation Persian, although she was Jewish by culture and Jewish by religion. Nobody would actually look at Esther and say, she's a Jew, because nobody really knew that she was a Jew. Every day Mordecai walked back and forth. It shows that great love and concern he had for Esther. He was looking for information about Esther and Esther's well-being and what could be a very difficult and dangerous situation for her. He didn't know where she was. He didn't know what was happening to her. It was quite, it was, it was quite regular if one of the women tried to get out of the harem or, 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 or sneak a man into the harem that she would be put to death there and then instantly. So it, it could be a very dangerous situation. And he may well have thought Esther's a bit headstrong. You know, she might just get herself into trouble. So he was always there, daily pacing up and down, waiting for somebody to come out that he knew and say, by the way, could you get a letter into Esther, etc. 
And so in verse 12 it says here, Before a young woman's turn to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, 6 months with oil of myrrh and 6 with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shashagaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. Persia was like others and was famous for its perfumes and its preparations. I was quite interested when I was reading up on it that the perfumes and the preparations, and I'm sure you'll, you'll appreciate this, they included the plucking of the eyebrows, the painting of the nails and the two toenails, and the use of facial makeup. Where have I heard all that before? You know, um, you might be Christians, but you're Persian by birth, I think. <clears throat> a year seems a long time for this woman to be in women's. I mean, it sounds like heaven, doesn't it? Spa treatments for a year, you know, being dipped in oil of myrrh and being scrubbed. In fact, the word there is, the word that's used there for the beauty treatment actually means to polish or scour. So whether she was pretty, you know, it's a... But, you know, there's people use pumice stones and all sorts of things to kind of... Skin, I don't know what these women call it, the defoliation or whatever it is. Or is that when your leaves fall off? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it seems a long time for this year, this year of preparation before a girl was put in beside the king. But there was one basic reason behind it. The basic reason behind it was to make sure that this girl was not pregnant when she came into the harem. That she was that she had been unsullied by another man. And she, they were, the unfortunate thing is they were, they were medically examined to make sure that they were who they say they were. And they were, the king was not prepared to be, to be put upon as being the sort of father of, of a child that, that he never conceived. And so these women all getting through their year's preparation and all being taken into the king, the king for a night, or the queen for a night, and in verse 15, when the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted the daughter of his uncle Abihel. When it came to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favour of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tabith, in the seventh year of his reign. That there is the seventh year of his reign. If you go back to chapter one, it was only the third year of his reign. So we've got a four-year gap in here. Um, and it was in that four-year gap that he fought the war and lost it against the Greeks. Now, when these women were being prepared to go into King Xerxes, many of them would choose bracelets and adornments and, and nose rings and earrings and all sorts of things to try and impress the king. But there was a real wisdom in Esther here. Now whether that wisdom had come from Mordecai or whether it had been whispered in Mordecai's ear by one of the eunuchs and, and, and they got the word to Esther. Just do what Haggai tells you. Wear what Haggai tells you to wear. Adorn yourself, comb your hair, style your hair, pluck your eyebrows, put your makeup on the way Haggai tells you to put it on. Because Haggai knows what the king likes. 
And so here we've got this situation where, although it's a, it's, a, it's a pagan system that we're in here, God is beginning to work through this to bring about what he wants. He wants Esther put in a position of influence to be queen of this place. So she found favour with everyone. Now, it's something that <clears throat> we'll have to be careful of here because beauty is something that attracts us. When we see, especially in women, when we see a beautiful woman, we're attracted to that. But let it not be the judge of where we put things or the order we put things in. We can be very handsome or very good looking on the outside and can be the biggest scoundrels inside. We've seen that in recent weeks by, by the celebrities that have been brought down from their high position to their low position because of their depraved character. So although someone is attractive to you on the outside, make sure that you look at the inside. Make sure that you look at the character. And for those of us who are not so good looking on the outside, it's not, that's not what God looks at. God looks at the heart of a man and a woman. That's the place where God is interested in what's happening in the heart and soul of a man. It's not to do with how good looking you are although God was about to use Esther's good looks in the only way that he could to get to King Xerxes but be careful of that you know you are who you are because God has a purpose for you every one of you sitting in here this morning are not here because you decided to come you're here because God brought you here in the same situation that Esther was in she was not there because she, she was there because she was a beautiful young woman, but she was there because God had taken her there. God had put her in that position. And that's what I want you to think about this morning. I want you to think about this. I often call it the Joseph mentality. When Joseph was, was, a, was a young man, his brothers hated him because he was the favourite of his father. And they, and they, they killed him. I mean, they looked and they saw him coming and we talk about the coat of many colours but really, the coat of many colours would be an embroidered coat, yes but it would be sleeveless sorry, it would have sleeves the men who worked for their father had sleeveless coats because they were wrestling sheep and doing all sorts of work Joseph would turn up to them this day with this coat with sleeves on it and it would be a beautiful coat and, and it really angered them and they killed him and they threw him down the well and, and well they didn't actually kill him but they thought about killing him and then they took him up and they sold him into slavery in Egypt and Joseph must have wondered at that time I would be as well been dead what good is this that could have been his attitude but his, his attitude wasn't that his attitude was Lord I don't know what's going on here but here I am what do you want me to do I've been mistreated by my brothers I've been thrown into a cistern I've been dragged up by a rope I've been sold to the Amalekites I've been sold into slavery in Egypt indeed now I'm in Potiphar's house and his wife's accused me of raping her and I've been put in jail I've never done anything wrong Lord what have I done to deserve this and yet he said to the Lord Lord here I am whatever you want me to do tell me I don't know why I'm in this situation but while I'm in this situation use me and I've quite believed that that's the attitude that Mordecai and Esther had here that I don't know what's going on here Lord but if you can use me use me 
So don't be, don't be put off because beautiful people seem to have all the attention that the world can give them. You'll get all the attention in heaven. You're beautiful on the inside, whether you're ugly on the outside or good looking on the outside. Verse 17, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favour and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. It sounds good. She was appointed queen. The one who wins will be the queen until, of course, she displeases the king, as Vashti did. Who knows where Vashti was? What about the other 399? These other 399, he may well have only got to, I mean, who knows what number Esther was? She could have been number 241 or number 14 or, or whatever. But as soon as the king had spent his night with Esther he decided that was it she was going to be queen so we've got 399 women here and we'll look at the plight of women in the world today and it's really no changed in some of these countries women are treated very much as second class citizens these 399 would be returned to the harem they would be kept in the harem for the rest of the king's life and he was only 40 at this time they would have no relationship with any other man at any time they would not be allowed to leave the harem and be married they might never see the king indeed they might have had their one night with the king and never see him again and so they were living literally as widows there was nothing in life for them apart from lying around and getting bathed in myrrh and oil and being beautified and but you see can you see what I'm saying here that all of these things all of these worldly things become a burden to you at the end of the day they all sound good to start with I mean I'm sure when these young women were taken into the king's palace and told you're going to get beauty treatments and be pampered for a year they think oh great and then they're put back into this situation and it becomes like almost a millstone around their neck what they would give for just an hour with their mother and father an hour with the boyfriend who's outside the gates weeping for the fact that he'll never see his young his young bride or his young fiancée ever again holidays and tax remissions were the general ways of commemorating great events and this was another great feast for Esther was edicts put out all over the, 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 the provinces 127 provinces that Xerxes looked after or ruled over and they were given what they call royal liberality in other words they might not have to pay tax for six months as a, as a gift from the king it wasn't as if the king went around giving the money he just didn't take any off them at that point in time but Esther's life now I mean when I look at this it's, it's absolutely remarkable I mean whether she thought it was remarkable or no but I look at this young woman who was born of Jewish exiles she lost her mother and father obviously at a very early age. She was looked after by her cousin who did his best for her, Mordecai. 
Then she was taken into the king's harem and now she's going to be the queen of Persia. I mean, if that's not a remarkable life, she's only 20 years old at this point in time. The things that God can do are remarkable. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Indeed, remember Paul spoke to Timothy and told him, he says, don't let anybody put you down because of your youth. God can use young men as well as old men, young women as well as old women. Don't allow your age to become a barrier to what God can do with you. I think I'm always fascinated by the the story in the New Testament when we talk about young people when they when Peter had been asked by the Pharisees if, if Jesus paid the temple tax and Peter said of course he does we all pay the temple tax and when the Pharisees had gone away Jesus took Peter aside and said who gave you permission to speak on my behalf he says does the son of the father have to pay taxes to the father Peter was rebuked for saying that Jesus paid the temple tax but he said so that you might be blessed through it he says go and throw your fishing line in the water and you'll catch a fish and in its mouth you'll find a coin and that coin will be enough to pay your temple tax and my temple tax half a shekel each and so Peter did as he was asked and sure enough he caught the fish and sure enough he opened his mouth and there was a shekel in it enough for the Jesus' tax and Peter's tax. And I often wondered, you know, you had to be over 20 years of age before you paid the temple tax. Is it possible that all the other disciples were under 20? Why would Jesus be partial and say that I'll just pay my tax and Peter's tax? What about the other disciples? Were they no due their tax paid? Of course they were. Is it possible? that they were under 20, that they were just a group of young men who were following Jesus. That's another heresy I've put out there for you, but you can think about it. Esther must have wondered, God, what comes next? What's happening here? From being some obscure exile's relation to being queen of Persia, what exactly have you got in mind here? It wasn't an accident that Esther was queen of Persia. The hand of God was at work. I said before he used the deeds of evil men to advance his own purposes because God will work all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, at the end of the day, it wasn't God that made Xerxes drunk at the feast. It wasn't God that made Xerxes demand that Vashti appear naked before him and his drunken rabble. It was no accident. Psalm 75 verses 6 and 7 says, No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down and he exalts another. And that's exactly what he was doing here. So we now have a situation where Esther's in the palace. She's in a place of influence. She's now the king's queen, the king's concubine. And Mordecai is left outside. 
And it says in verse 19, When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do so. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions, as she had done when he was bringing her up. Oh, that her children would follow her instructions, eh? Eh? She had been faithful and wise to follow Mordecai's instructions. You know, I've got got two sons. When they were 15, they thought I was really thick, you know. And then by the time they got to 18 or 19, they were amazed at how much I had learned in three or four years. It was was quite, quite a time. And so, but this young woman, who has literally just come out of her teens, come out of that strange phase in a, in, a, in a young person's life where they're not very sure whether they're still a child or whether they're an adult yet and a phase that we've really got to pray for our kids as we, as we get them through that, pray for our grandchildren but this whole thing here that she kept everything secret, she'd obeyed Mordecai, it shows the great respect that she had for Mordecai a respect that a res- you know, she, she may have, Mordecai maybe said to her things like don't do this or don't do that and she thought well I want to do that but out of respect for Mordecai, she decided not to. And so this, this mystery of what's going on here deepens. And in verse 21, it says, During the time that Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, and that's the doorway to the harem, by the way, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. Now to be sitting at the king's gate meant that Mordecai must have had some sort of official duties. It's not that he was just sort of sitting around at the king's gate. Nobody was just allowed to sit there. He may have been one of the king's officers. He may have been... Who knows what he may have been. He may have been in charge of the horses. He may have been in charge of the stables. It's not anything that we know. But he was certainly in a situation where he was at his place of work when he overheard this, uh, when he overheard this conspiracy to kill King Xerxes. And this, this is not an unusual situation. You know, it's, we think about killing King Xerxes, but you know, when we look at our own political situation at the present time it's almost like a pack of sharks they're waiting for somebody to step out of line and then they just physically well not physically but, but emotionally murder them you know, you only need to step out of line as a politician and suddenly there's this whole harangue the newspapers and the media coming against you trying to force you to resign your position or, or whatever for some something that's sometimes really quite trivial I mean not that I had any time for Michael Gove as Education Secretary, but because he fell out with Theresa May, David Cameron sacked him. And, and the papers went berserk on him as well. I mean, I didn't particularly like the guy and the way he presented things, but I felt quite sorry for him at the end of the day. But that's, I mean, that's, these things were happening in the court of Xerxes as well, only they went a wee bit further, they actually did murder him. I mean, eventually, a few years later, Xerxes was killed by his Prime Minister, and it was his Prime Minister who put his son Artaxerxes the first on the throne. So it was not unusual for kings to be murdered. Indeed, when you read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. 
The cupbearer was the wine tester and the food tester, very much trusted by the king. He had to eat the food first and drink the wine first to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. And of course, if you could get to the cupbearer, then the cupbearer could add the poison to the food after he had tasted it. So it was a very, very responsible situation, a very, very responsible position. But here's two guys who are having a conversation. Now, why Mordecai overheard this, we can only presume that maybe they thought he didn't understand the language that they were speaking in or whatever, but he overheard this conversation. They were going to kill King Xerxes. And he still had this channel open to Queen Esther, so he told Esther. And Esther told the king, and she told him that Mordecai, to give him the credit for it. But Mordecai could have said nothing. A foreign king who had stolen his daughter, literally, or his stepdaughter, he could have thought, well, he deserves what he gets. He could have said nothing, but he didn't. He told Esther through the eunuchs, we presume, and Esther gave him all the credit. But the king at this point in time, and again, God's at work here. Normally a king who would have been saved from this would have immediately gone and honoured the guy who had uh, saved his life or who had exposed the conspiracy. But the king seemed to be too distracted chasing down the conspirators that he forgot to reward Mordecai. But again, this would work to God's good purposes because the reward would come later and great would be the reward. The reward would literally be the salvation of the Jewish nation. And when the report was investigated in verse 23 and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. So this was a typical punishment by the Persians. The same as crucifixion was sort of it wasn't invented by the Romans but it was perfected by the Romans so was impalement uh, sort of invented by the Persians this type of death involved they planted a stake in the ground quite high maybe 10 or 12 feet with a sharp point on it and the, the perpetrators were sat on top of it and then they hung weights on their legs and they were literally dragged down the pole as it came right up through their body and out through their neck. And apparently it was extremely excruciating. They lived for hours as this thing just slowly uh, found its way. And I don't mean to be gory, but that's the type of people that we're dealing with here. I mean, that Xerxes was totally ruthless, totally um, beside himself with rage with these people. And yet we see this as part of the plan of God, that God is using this situation to bring about the salvation of his people, the Jews, even in this situation. We can see in hindsight how God has a purpose for our lives, or a purpose for the lives of Mordecai and Esther, because we've read the book. You see, that's why, that's why God never worries about things, because he knows the beginning from the end. We don't. We only know what's going past, and we only know what's happening in the moment. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But look at this from this point of view. Esther and Mordecai were in the same situation that you and I are in. They're seeing this situation where Esther has been taken into the palace to be queen. Mordecai has found out about this, this plot to kill the king. He has let the king know and the king has duly dealt with the perpetrators. 
But no reward comes to Mordecai. Mordecai and Esther would probably both be thinking, well, this is it. You know, Mordecai will get a step up or, or he'll get some financial reward or, or maybe this was why I was here. Maybe it was just to uncover this, uh, this plot and the king will give me some reward and if he asks me, maybe I'll ask to go back and live with Mordecai. We all second guess God. We all try and work out, what, what is God planning here? What is going on? We don't worry about it in the book of Esther because most of us who have read the book of Esther before, we know the outcome. So we're not worried. So God doesn't worry because he knows the outcome. And God tells us, don't worry. I know the outcome. I know what's going to happen in your life. The thing that you have, the thing that God has given you that even the angels don't have, is faith. Faith to believe that God will work all things to the good. Angels don't need faith. They're sitting in the presence of God every day. They know who he is. You'll never get angels on antidepressants. They know who God is. They don't have an issue. We need to be a people. And I don't, I don't say that lightly because at some point in my life I've been on antidepressants and it's no nice place to be. And I certainly... And it's all to do with this fallen life and this broken body that we live in. But the point I'm trying to get across is don't let the things of the world overcome you in that sense. You know, when, when Jesus said, you know, be anxious for nothing, he wasn't telling you, you know, don't be concerned about things. What he was telling you was, don't allow yourself to be overcome by things. Don't allow yourself to worry to the point where you cease to function because you're so busy worrying about it. Esther and Mordecai had to go on with their life. Esther was a king's officer. He was sitting at the king's gate. Uh, sorry, Mordecai was, Esther was the queen. They just had to go on with life. Esther didn't go before the king and say, oh, by the way, my uncle Mordecai told you all this. You couldn't do that with a king in those days. If you appeared before a king without permission, you would be put to death. I mean, such was the ego of these guys. So here we have, in hindsight, God has a purpose for the lives of Mordecai and Esther. And I'll tell you this, no matter what people say about you, or have done to you or will do to you God has a purpose for your life and God will not allow it to go unchallenged when people come against you just the same as Esther and Mordecai would have to wait for God's plan to come to fruition stick with the Lord be that faithful person remember we spoke about the verse in Proverbs that says love and faithfulness bind them on your heart and you gain favour both with God and men. Love God and be faithful to God and be faithful to each other. That's why your fellowship one with another is so important. Mordecai and Esther were the only ones who knew in some measure what was going on. They were in two different places and yet they tried to communicate. They tried to have that fellowship. You're blessed in that you don't have to go sneaking around trying to fellowship with one another. That's where it's so important. He has a purpose for your life and my life. It doesn't matter whether you're good looking, as we've seen in this passage already. If you're good looking, God may use your good looks to accomplish his will in your life. If you're not so good looking, God may use other things. Remember Paul, when we spoke about it in Romans, Paul was about five foot six. 
He was boiler-legged. He had a big Jewish, typical, archetypical Jewish nose. He was baldy-headed with kind of straggly hair at the back. And he had a problem with his eyes that made him look red-eyed and, and tearful all the time. And yet, what did God do with him? God took the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world through this man Paul. So don't ever worry about how you look or who you are. You are who you are because God has made you the way you are. And God will use you if you allow him. Don't be afraid to allow him to accomplish his will for your life. Just the same as we're going to see with Esther and Mordecai. The time would come when the challenge was thrown down and Esther and Mordecai had to make up their mind. This day whom shall you serve, as Joshua said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this good day. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you've lifted us into that place of salvation, Father. And Lord, if there are any here who don't know you as Lord and Saviour, I pray that you would touch their hearts today, Father. Lord, encourage us, Lord. Encourage us through this word of yours, Father, that no matter what people do to us or people say about us or people, uh, the, the things that are thrown at us, Lord, the things that the world gives us, Father, you're in control. You're the one who will bring good out of evil. You're the one who will look after our soul eternally. So Father, help us to be submissive to you. Help us to just allow you to accomplish your will in our lives. So be with us this day, Lord. And comfort us and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen.